Left. Right. You are in for a treat tonight. We are talking about narcissism and borderline personality disorder, specifically narcissistic personality disorder. We're comparing the two. A narcissist is not always somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder. These are complicated mental disorders. Listen, listen on, learn the facts, and uh, diagnose your friends. See you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Right, we are live. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 181. My name is Justin DiGiulio, out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosonator Boswell, out of sunny South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a professional referee, a bartender, and most exciting of all, an accountant. James, how's life down in sunny South Carolina? Things are pretty good down here right now. Um, it's finally... We're finally into what I would call late spring, where it's nice and warm every single day. We were supposed to get a whole bunch of thunderstorms today, but they, like, dodged my house. Like, the storm was all in one line, and then it gets to my house and splits up, and I was really disappointed. <laughs> well, you must not have to worry about flooding. That's uh... <laughs> No. I, uh, um, also, when I bought a house, so for the past 13 years, every single time that it's been hurricane season, I've always gotten excited anytime a hurricane spins up and looks like it might have a chance to hit Charleston. People would always look at me <laughs> like I was crazy. Yeah. Um, and they're like, wait, you want it to hit here? I was like, oh, totally. Wait, no, you don't want it to hit here. No, that's not what I'm saying. I want it to hit here. Okay, so give your rationale. That's, that's good there. What, well, hurricanes why do you are fun. Um, I, I mean, they're exciting, especially if you're, not in, if you're not in line with the potential damage, which it sounds like you had not been for the last 13 years. Uh, I've gotten, I've been through, I'd say, two or three actual decent hits. Probably the biggest was Hurricane Matthew in 2016. But, like, for me, they're the closest I'm going to get to, like, a snow day. Uh, <laughs> um, Fair enough. Just slightly but, more destructive than a little, little blizzard. True, but I, I don't know. The actual day of like the hurricane hitting is cool because like you're seeing weather that you will never see anywhere else with sure. crazy winds and crazy rain and like people said well that's just because you rent that you're like so in favor of hurricanes like once you own a property your attitude's going to change um i can say as a homeowner uh nope attitude remains the same well i'm i'm glad that you've stuck to your camp there uh so look <laughs> uh I was talking about current news. I thought you were going to segue into our topic at hand, which was uh, Johnny Depp being, well, he's not on trial, actually. He's the plaintiff, right? Yes. Okay. So the topic tonight that we're talking about is actually narcissism. We're going to drag borderline personality disorder into it because we're going to be discussing narcissistic personality disorder, not so much narcissism in general. So outside from the weather, and when you dodged a, little bit of rain tonight um <clears throat> and i don't know much about johnny the johnny depp trial like i like i said right before we got on air i've caught maybe you know a minute or two of it uh every other day for the last couple of days uh you want to lay on me what, what you heard and then we'll well, then we'll 
springboard to the top. It's important to go back to how this started, which was a couple years ago. His wife, or I think they were married, um, Amber Heard, published an op-ed in the New York Times, I believe, alleging all sorts of abuse from him. And as a result of that, he basically got can't like all of his movie contracts canceled and he hasn't really worked since i believe 2017 or 2018 um and he is now suing her for defamation because he alleges that he was not the abuser in the relationship it was her which is uh which is very interesting spin on things and what we're seeing uh, at this trial, which we're watching, some of us are able to watch live, is that this was, these are two pretty high profile people, and this was not a great marriage. And it sounds very much from what I have gathered that she is pretty crazy. Uh, and that, you know, he may be a bit of crazy also, but he also plays a drunken pirate uh, as his primary role for the last dozen well, movies that he's done so from the clips that i've seen and granted i'm probably like the sources that i'm getting these videos from are probably biased in favor of johnny depp so they're probably going to be more likely to show me clips that are favorable to him i but... I, I feel like that's a lot of what we're seeing anyways and i'm trying to when i'm watching the stuff i'm trying to look for the bias and, and you're not catching everything so yeah and i don't have the the patience or mental fortitude to, to listen to the entire trial as it's going on live because um, it, it's it, it's not pleasant listening material it's also it's it's very slow and drawn out and boring and listening to Johnny Depp speak without written lines that are rehearsed is actually really painful I found <laughs> well it depends there's there I think I've seen some clips where he, I think he actually comes off very well. Uh, so uh, did you catch the one where uh, basically she accused him of pouring a mega pint of wine and uh, and the prosecutor, you know, the defense attorney said, uh, you know, could you define, you know, how large a mega pint of wine is? And he's like, well, it's it's a pint. And while that might be a lot of wine, I think in that situation it was warranted <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think. There are a couple of things that are important about this case. The first is I'm going to I'll admit my bias right now and think that he is largely right, that he was the victim of abuse and that she was the abuser. Like, that's my opinion. I think that she's in the wrong here more than he is. Well, um, OK. And I think that this case is useful because it highlights something that society kind of ignores, which is men that are victims of domestic abuse now this well, is not to diminish women who are victims i'm saying no one should be victims no one should be victims but also the spotlight is usually focused in one direction when the direction shouldn't be focused at one gender or the other it well, should be focused on on uh, you know basically on the abuse problem well and, i think abusive behavior men probably commit domestic abuse more than women as a percentage of relationships and probably like, more physical for sure than than emotional but just because men have been and continue to be historically more guilty of it than women doesn't mean that when a man is a victim of it 
it should be dismissed or ignored or made fun of because nobody should be the victim of abuse. And there's even there was a line um, in the proceedings, uh, a recorded phone call between uh, Depp and Heard, where and I'm not getting the quote exactly right, but she basically says, "Go ahead and take this to a trial. They're going to like." what jury is going to convict like a woman as being an abuser you're a man like, I, would, I, I, I didn't actually hear that but somebody like, else i'm not getting the quote exactly right no, but but, that was the but, implication was like you think that you're going to have any success in a court with this one i'm a woman like no like women don't get it's basically taunting him yeah yeah no I, yeah. I, somebody else told me about this so i think also what may come to light is the fact that some relationships that are doomed before they ultimately people totally separate things get really really shitty and can i put one more point out there when you're done yeah but the, the general point that i'm making is people need to know when to exit a relationship and when to salvage a relationship and there are certain points if a relation get a relationship gets so bad that it cannot be salvaged so a sinking ship, you have to decide whether or not you want to jump ship or you want to start bailing, bailing out buckets of water. And when it gets to the point where it is abandoned ship time and you're just standing on the ship arguing, you're both going down and it's very painful for both of you. Um, so one other point, because I, mean, I don't know, it's certainly not in the level of like Depp and Herds, but like, the more I think about it, the more I was part of a, an abusive relationship a couple years back. And I was the one that was being abused. And it, like the more I think about it, the more it checks the boxes. But I was kind of in denial about it at the time. And I think that it's important to note that like, the person who's being abused, sometimes the way that they react to the abuse... If you if you only look at their behavior, if if you ignore the triggering events that caused it, their behavior can look like abuse too because they're responding to being abused. And so you have to look at who is the one causing these problems. And I, like when I look at what's like the the descriptions of some of the exchanges between like Depp and Heard, like she threw a can of mineral mineral spirits at his face and it hit him like right between the eyes and stuff. Mm. And like. When something like that happens, it's really difficult to not react at all. Yeah, yeah. And even if you react verbally, or and like the things that you're going to say, if you take them out of context, are going to sound like abuse. But why did those happen? And I think that's something that's really important to see is that like just because both parties do something wrong, you have to look and say who is the one that was instigating it. Because that's where the abuse well, is yeah, where, bringing it. Where, yeah, where did it start? And a lot of times it is the other party coping. So look. <clears throat> and I know that's childish of like, but you started it. But in this particular case, it actually really matters. Yeah, but it's also, it's, it's being perpetuated also by the other party. And that's, that's where my point is, that's where it gets messy. And at a certain point in time, one of the parties needs to jump ship in order for you know, both people not to go down. Well, and you talked about how Johnny Depp was a victim of abuse when he was a child. Um, and so if you are abused as a child, you are more susceptible to end up in, a rela in an abusive relationship because that's, during your formative years, you, that's how you learned how relationships work. And so you just assume that 
like the abusive relationship that you're in it as an adult is how relationships are. So it's a lot harder for someone to leave an abusive relationship. One, than people just think in general, but two, especially if they were raised as a child in an abusive relationship. That's, that's very funny because I had a friend who had a, from my perspective, a very mutually abusive and verbally abusive relationship. And, uh, you know, I, I witnessed his relationship and I also knew that several years prior for several years prior to that, his parents were divorcing. And I said, Hey dude, like this is, this is not, I'm witnessing you and your relationship and you are both abusive and just very, you're just ripping each other apart. Every, every time I'm with you guys, you guys are ripping each other apart. Like this is not a healthy relationship. The only reason I could, I can't imagine, like I've sat at dinner. And I wanted to leave the dinner and you go home and let that continue. And you wake up the next day and let that continue. The only reason I could ever imagine this is because you think this is okay in a relationship. And I imagine that the relationship that in your formative years that your parents are divorced and there's a lot of children of divorced parents, your parents are divorced. So I can imagine that in your formative years, you witnessed a lot of similar stuff, but my friend, that's, that's not acceptable for a, relationship that's going to last and that's not a healthy relationship uh, all right so i want to get into i want to get into um narcissism to start you got some information on borderline yeah uh i've okay. got lots okay cool now uh is is borderline is that dsm5 uh yeah is that, okay so yeah, it's in dsm5 i've got the dsm5 criteria along with a couple other things Cool, because I'm going to go over the DSM-5 criteria for narcissism first. But I think we should about... go through both of their criteria, one after the other, so that people can see how similar they are in terms of their diagnostics. Run through the full list? Yeah, and like then... you tell... Okay. And okay, then we cool. can go into Let's... more... Because, like, a very quick aside, Yeah. a friend of mine in the refereeing community dated a girl that was borderline, and... That after they broke up, um, I was telling him because like I knew her as well, um, and like I've driven to college soccer games with just her and I in the car, and we've I've had like long talks with her, yeah. and she reminded me of a girl that I dated that was also borderline. So like when I met her, I was like, no, this is not nar this is not narcissism. This is borderline. But he was saying, yeah, if, if there was ever somebody that like had narcissistic personality disorder, it was her. And I said, you're close. You're close, and they are, and they are close. But there are some major differences. So just to set everybody straight, DSM five is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So it has to actually it has to fit this classification to be classified as a dsm-5 mental disorder yeah the dsm-5 uh, is is basically the go-to guidebook for for mental disorders like it, it it's i'm trying to think of like the best comparison um and it's just it's the source yeah well it, it's exactly it's, it's your it's i your, guess it's the bible of psychology fair enough um so I read a bunch of articles today about narcissistic personality disorder. A couple of things. What we what we today think of as narcissism isn't 
necessarily NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, as classified by the DSM-5. So you can have narcissistic traits. People will call you a narcissist. What we mean when we say narcissist today, we typically mean self-centered and vain, but it goes a lot deeper than simply being self-centered and vain. Uh, also to note, uh, and this is funny because uh, I was reading this article and I, and I realized that it came from 2011, uh, but the article is saying how narcissistic personality disorder is one of the least identified personality disorders. And I, I'm like, there's no way that's possible. And then I looked at the date and that was 2011. And I think you'd agree with me that narcissism is very much on the rise over the last decade. And we're seeing a lot more of it. I don't know the influencing factors of why people are more narcissistic today. Um, but, uh, and there's a question from Raj, is narcissistic and egotistic the same thing? No. It is not. Uh, and and that's, that's why I want to get into this DSM-5 list. Oh, uh, real quick, some statistics. Yeah. Um, so borderline personality disorder um, is about 1.4% of the U.S. population, and nearly 75% of the people diagnosed with BPD are women. Um, narcissistic personality disorder, experts estimate that up to 5% of people. And that's, and that's predominantly male. Right? I would think so. I don't have the stats on the male-female split. Um, <clears throat> actually, here we go. Um, prevalence of lifetime NPD was 6.2% with rates greater for men at 7.7% than women, 4.8%. Yeah. So not quite as skewed as BPD, but still more men are narcissistic, more women are borderline personality if you go by the statistics. Okay, so look, I want to I race through the narcissistic, well, I don't have to race, we have time, but I want to race through the DSM-4 criteria, which is basically not as, you know, what's the difference between DSM-4 and DSM-5? It's just it's the five addition. Different. Five is just newer, right? Yeah, so every every couple years, or I don't know, it's probably every 10 to 15 years, they do a complete revision of it. And so, like, I think if you were to go back to, like, DSM-1, like, you might find, like, homosexuality as a mental disorder. Okay, so, so I, I want to hit the DSM-4 criteria because it's a bit more broad, and then I want you, I want everyone to be able to see how specific the dsm-5 classification is for narcissism oh so you've got both you've got the four and the five i have the four and the five and the, the the five is actually two pages the the four is just one and i've, I've double spaced it so it's actually uh easier for me to read here but yeah and that was one of the major things that they did in the dsm-5 is they tried to say like here's the list you must hit x out of these in order to be classified yeah, well, I thought <laughs> I thought you were going to say here's the thing they did in the five is that they double spaced it, so it's easier. Oh no, to... no, no! But like the the four was much more broad. It's just like, do you have some of these characteristics? Okay, we can probably diagnose <clears throat> you. Whereas five is just like, here's ten. You must have seven of these ten, otherwise it's no diagnosis. Okay, so diagnostic and statistical manual for mental disorders, uh, DSM four edition. This is the narcissistic personality disorder criteria. A pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, need for admiration, lack of empathy, beginning in early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by five or more of the following. So you have to have at least five of the following. Grandiose sense of self-importance, uh, for example, exaggerates achievements and talents and expects to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements. Uh, number two. 
preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Three, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood or should only associate with others that are special or unique or high-status people or high-status institutions. Number four, requires excessive admiration. Five, has sense of entitlement. Uh, example, unreasonable expectations of special, special favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. Six, is interpersonally exploitative. Uh, example, takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own goals. Seven, lacks empathy. He's unwilling to recognize or identify with feelings and the needs of others. Eight, often envious of others and believes that others are envious of him or her. And nine, shows arrogance uh, or haughty behaviors or attitudes. So that actually seems pretty achievable by a lot of people to me. Um, and if you, I, I, I think if you aren't thinking Donald Trump when you <laughs> read that list, then you need to either watch Trump talk or reread that list. Oh, you know, I'm actually, <clears throat> I'm thinking of a lot of people that I know reading that list, and it's it's very unfortunate. Now, it's it's not clinical if you meet five or more of those as of the new standards today. But this is this is back 20 years ago. What they were saying was narcissistic. So to me, it's crazy that there are more narcissistic tendencies today and more narcissists. And yet they've also tightened the criteria to be narcissists. So that simple criteria that may be several people that, you know, or several people that, you know, may have several of these attributes. They've actually made it more difficult to be considered a narcissist today. And we know more people who are narcissistic. Well, I yeah, think that... I think part of that is like we, we've just kind of seen a shift in the last decade towards more acceptance of seeking help for these kind of things. So I don't think that the prevalence has really increased at all. <clears throat> I think it's that people have been seeking treatment and then getting the diagnosis. Well, so that's very interesting because when it comes to treating uh, NPD, uh, it's very, very difficult. Same uh, with BPD. Most narcissists avoid psychotherapy or any therapy, and they often quit very early on once they feel threatened or uncomfortable. I have, and if we have enough time, I can share. There's a 10-stage treatment that's kind of generally accepted for treatment of narcissistic personality disorder. So if we if we Let's have enough time, I can share that. Um, but there's also not many psychotherapists specifically for NPD, um, and since most uh, in people with NPD don't want therapy, uh, it's, it's just very difficult. Remember, narcissists are master manipulators. And those that want therapy aren't seeking therapy for narcissistic personality disorder. And the only reason they're going to therapy is because someone's asking them to and they're using it as a manipulation tool. Yes. And because they're a master manipulator, the therapist may not realize that it's NPD and they may not be fully forthcoming with fact and specific scenarios and stories when they're with their therapist. So it's, it's just very difficult also to recognize NPD in a therapy setting. So it's, it's usually going to be some type of group therapy. Somebody's saying, I think you need therapy. I'm going to go with you and, and I want to ad ad address some of the issues that we have going on, usually marital relationships and things like that. Um, 
right. <clears throat> you Let's ready? Race through the the DSM five stuff, and then yeah. I'm gonna hit I'm gonna hit the borderline personality because the actual what's what's funny is that the diagnostic criteria for BPD is very different than NPD, but the way that both of the disorders manifest themselves in real life is very similar. Yeah, I, uh, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Did, uh, should we? So <clears throat> this is actually through. Uh, it's from the DSM. It's from the uh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I got this information through NYU, and then I actually have a couple. Uh, what is it? What was that website I sent you? Psychology Today. Yeah, I've uh, got stuff from the NHS UK, the Mayo Clinic, um, NCBI.NIH. So something from the National Institute of Health. I got a lot of stuff. Cool. I. Uh, I like psychology today, except, you know, uh, I read a lot of, a lot of their articles. Um, <clears throat> all right. So all let's right, so hit... go ahead and hit your DSM five. And also if anybody has experience with this and they want to talk about it or say like what they've seen, like throw out those comments. Yeah. I'm very curious of some of your stories of having dated or having a f close friend or a or, relative, like a or parent. If you yourself have it. Um, what is their behavior like? Can these characteristics be seen right away? Yes, uh, if you know what you're looking for. Uh, all right, so well, I'm gonna I'm, I'll give you that list the new the new list for NPD DSM yeah. five criteria. I'll t um, after we do the, the criteria, I want to answer that person's question because I can describe what it's like to be around a borderline personality person very well, having uh, dated one. Well, I, I'm gonna try to avoid sharing personal. Uh, perspective too too much on this one, but I can tell you that I'm I'm very close with the narcissistic uh, personality. Yeah, but, well, so. I, I I've known two people fairly closely with BPD, so I can describe what they're like to be around, and it's not negative. No, and and same thing oftentimes with being around a narcissist. A lot of the time, because other if it was all negative, these people would push everyone away, which is why there's that manipulative aspect of these disorders is that they are they may do some things that really make you feel like shit but they will bring you back and you will be wanting to come back which is really weird it's 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 very odd uh how these traits manifest themselves and allow themselves to perpetuate in a lasting relationship so uh <clears throat> the essential features of a personality disorder are impairments in personality self and interpersonal functioning and the presence of pathological personality traits to diagnose NPD, the following criteria must be met. Significant impairment in uh, person, fucking a significant impairments in personality functioning manifest by impairments in self functioning A or B identity, excessive reference to others for self definition uh, and self regulation exaggerative self-appraisal, appraisal, inflated or deflated, uh, and it may uh, go between the extremes. Uh, Self-direction, goal setting is based on gaining approval from others. So you're not setting goals for yourself, you're setting goals for others to notice. Uh, and personal standards are unreasonably high in order to see oneself as exceptional, uh, and sometimes too low based on a sense of self-entitlement and you are often unaware of your own motivations. So either identity or self-direction and impairments in interpersonal functioning, either A or B. So empathy 
impaired ability to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others, excessively attuned to the reactions of others, but only if perceived as relevant to self uh, or underestimate uh, your own effect on others. And intimacy, relationships largely superficial and exist to serve self-esteem regulation, uh, mutually constrained by little genuine interest in others. Uh, okay, next is pathological person personality traits in the following domain. Antagonism characterized by grandiosity, feelings of entitlement, either overt or covert, self-centeredness, firmly holding to the belief that one is better than others, condescending towards others. Uh, Attention-seeking, excessive attempts to attract and be the focus of attention of others. Admiration-seeking. Uh, next, impairments in pers personality functioning and the individual's personality trait expressions are relatively stable across time and consistent across situations. The impairments in personality functioning and the individual's personality trait expression are not better understood as normative for the individual's development, developmental stage or sociocultural environment. There's a lot of multisyllabic words in here, I'm sorry. Uh, and lastly, the impairments in personality functioning and the individual's personality trait expressions are not solely due to direct psychological effects of substance, uh, example, drug abuse or medication abuse, uh, or a general medical condition, so severe head trauma. So basically, the, this person's personality isn't, the, isn't impacted because of their drug use or because of injury. Yeah. Um, Sorry, that was a mouthful. That was a yeah. lot. Like I said, multi I'm going to go through words. this one quickly. So I actually found the four and the five for BPD, and I think that I, I just read through five, and it, it 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 like the the differences between the two criteria are very similar to the differences you found in yours, where one is just like hit X number of this list, the other one is more like <clears throat> either or this or that on a whole bunch of different criteria. Yeah. Um, I think that the four actually does a better job giving a general picture as to what's going on. So yeah, I'm just well, going to read through that real quick. And then I'm going to describe, uh, I'm going to describe what it's like to be around a BPD person and some of like, the behaviors that you'll see manifested. And then you can maybe talk a little bit about like the people, you know, with NPD. Um, so BPD um, is a pervasive pattern of instability in person in interpersonal relationships marked by impulsivity beginning in early adulthood. Um, indicated by five or more of the following. So one, chronic feelings of emptiness. Two, emotional instability in reaction to day-to-day -day events. Um, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Identity disturbances with, with par like markedly or persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Um, impulsive behavior in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. So examples would be like spending a lot of money, um, like frequent casual sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. So like all kind of, I guess, dopamine, dopamine activities. Extremes, yeah. Yeah. Um, inappropriate, intense anger or difficult controlling anger. Um, 
a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by extremes between idealization and devaluation. And I want to get back to that one when I finish the last two. Um, Recurrent suicidal behavior or self-harming behavior and transient stress-related paranoid ideation or, or severe dissociative symptoms. So that's just like almost like a psychotic break where you're not really experiencing reality like other people are. Yeah. Um, the, the one that I think is really big that, is like, that it? that's a whole list. That's the whole list. Okay. So the pattern of unstable and interpersonal relationships with the extremes between idealization and devaluation. That one I like to describe as like a push pull where if they're in a relationship, they're extremely close with the person that they're in a relationship with. And then very quickly they rebound and push that person away and the cycle repeats so Mm -hmm. like they love the person then they hate the person they love the person then they hate the person and so the theory behind bpd is that they the person both wants to be accepted and have stable relationships but has a really deep fear of rejection and so as they get closer to a person, they're both getting what they want and also getting closer to what they fear, which is that person possibly going away. And so the way that they deal with that is by pushing that person away. So that way they're not rejected. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I know one person in particular with, with very severe borderline. Uh, I believe their partner knows, but I could be wrong on that. When it comes Mm -hmm. to like, being around someone that's borderline, like borderline personality people can actually be some of the best people to be around. Cause like, because they, they desire attention, like they can actually be the life of the party. And I'm not talking about in terms of just like going crazy with drinking or whatever. It's just, they can be really entertaining and fun to be around and personable at a party because they're getting that positive attention. But what you'll see is, as soon as the attention shifts away from them, just because that's how like things happen at parties is like, all right, we're paying attention to this person. Oh, now we're going to pay attention to that then, person. Then the party's over and it needs to be shut down. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It is that now they're all of a sudden mad and they'll, and they'll even maybe even blame the other, like somebody else who's getting the attention now and, and thinking that that person dislikes them when in reality, it had nothing to do with them and everything that's to do just, with just yeah. that's how people are. Think, but yeah. they, they perceive that any, any, anything that is not beneficial to them must have been a personal slight against them. Now, do you think both of these are manifestations of low self-esteem? Uh, because I, I would think low self-esteem could, I could think, manifest itself both ways. I think with BPD... Both, the low self-esteem is a consequence, not a cause. The the most. The, well, the, you're making your own life turmoil with the with with uh, borderline. Yeah, but I don't think it. I don't think borderline emerges from low self-esteem. I think self-esteem happens. Be, low self-esteem happens because of borderline. The the most popular theory as to the cause for borderline is that you have like an unstable. Um, childhood. childhood, yeah, where you didn't get that kind of reassurance that the people that love you will be there for you, and that's where you want that close relationship, but your childhood taught you that that can be taken away, and that really hurts, and so you deeply fear it. 
yeah, I I think that's very likely exa- the the most predominant cause for BPD. Um, what is your if you had to take kind of a one liner step? Because that's a, I think a really good one liner stab at one of the biggest causes for BPD. What would you say would be one of the biggest causes for narcissistic personality disorder? And and assuming that all of this stems somewhere in childhood, somewhere in in a development stage, because my my thinking is this uh, is environmental, so it could have something to do with parenting. It could have something to do with kind of your your social so exposure. I would have to guess that NPD stems also from childhood but instead of having that unstable formational time that causes BPD I would think that NPD would be caused by parental but by parents not giving the child realistic input as to what they're doing so when every like if everything the child does is the greatest and the parents tell the kid that they're better than everybody else and the parents cover up for any failings of the child so like if the parents do the projects for the child and the child gets an A or whatever like so it's kind of a inflation of the child's self-worth while minimizing the amount of responsibility and work that the child has to put into it to achieve what they're achieving that would be my guess i i would think there's a disconnect between the actual status of that child and what they're being led to believe their their status is mm-hmm. and i think i think you're that's a really good example it's funny because i was watching uh, some uh, like interspace science galaxy uh thing on youtube last night and they were talking about like science fairs. And I was looking at the video that they had. It was kind of like a stock video they had at a science fair. And it was like a f- the fourth graders. And I could see some of them were like some of those fourth grade science projects were in a science fair were blatantly done by the parent. Whereas the general quality of most of the science experiments was pretty poor. Some of them were like, you know, giant interplanetary models and things like that. I'm like, there's no way a fucking fourth grader did this shit. But that, you know, when that when that fourth grader graduates into the real world, they're going to have a disconnect with who they believe they are and what and and basically where what their status actually is. Especially in your example, if the fourth grader feels like that killer science fair project was their own doing. If the parent, if, if the parents make it be like, look at what you did, look at how good this is, instead of look what we did or look at how we worked on this together, it's no, look how good you are. I think and, but that's that's where I think parenting has a a giant role. Well, in, in both of these, all it does. just like Sarah said on on, I think that's Twitch overprotection has something to do with it. It's just it's parents giving children an unrealistic idea of who they are in life, and not and not saying, hey, you know. Bud, you're not really good at, at baseball. So you have two options. You can play soccer, which you're decent at, or you can practice the hell out of baseball. Yeah, and obviously, but not, like, not we're, tra- saying, hey, we're trying know, to boil these down to just one thing. We're going to be missing some nuance for sure. But I, I, obviously, I, I think we both agree that like both of these are going to be kind of the, the foundations for either disorder are, are planted 
relatively early on based on how you were parented. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I think, uh, and I think you and I both got, did pretty well with, uh, with parenting and direction like that. You know, I think when you compare our, our, our upbringing to many others, I think both of us were on like definitely within like, like probably two standard deviations above the average. Yeah, I, I would say so. It's funny because, you know, a lot of the time I, you know, I think oftentimes about like what it was like being and what it is like being my mother's son. Uh, and, you know, for those people who don't know, my father passed away when I was, I was younger. So it was mostly parenting coming from my mom. And she she did a really good job as a as a single parent. But she built me up really quite a bit. But I think she was also very realistic Um with like she was here last you know the easter weekend and she's like oh you know the house looks great you're you know this is great you're an amazing person you're an amazing son hey you put on a little weight i can see and i'm just like what the, the fuck was that <laughs> fucking jab to the nose <laughs> well, um but lose i think, some weight fatty but i i think she does a really good job at, at being super realistic and also you know and i know her role i i i I'm also very aware that her role as a mother um, is to kind of be in my corner the majority of the time. But if I had a bad round, she's going to say, hey, you know, you got to, you know, that was, you fucked up there. You got to come back this next round. Otherwise, you're, you're And that's told. a critical role of parenting is, yes, you need to be supportive to your children, but you also need to be realistic with them when they screw up. Yeah. Uh, and that so, doesn't mean over punishing, but it also doesn't mean covering up the problem or making them think that it was somebody else's fault. I, I'd like to get into the, because uh, I, I can, I want to talk, if we have time, I'd like to get into the, the article that I sent you, the uh, psychology. Sim today. The dif differences and similarities? Yeah, but also. I think, that's, I think that's where we should go next. Yeah, I think so too. But if we have time, I have the 10 stages of treatment for uh, narcissistic personality disorder. And what I wanted to just mention that the treatment for narcissistic personality disorder specifically is uh uh sarah will hit your question one second the treatment for narcissism is re really difficult because the the therapist can't say you're not special you're nobody we got to drag you back down to reality because that's that's not effective treatment and it's it's just it's not going to to play out so uh you know well it's i want to Let's let's uh, Sarah asks narcissism is driven by insecurity agree or disagree. That's a really good question because I sometimes there are benefits of certain narcissistic narcissistic personality traits like striving to be better believing that you that your goals are so much of a higher level um, because they, they make you they can make you work very hard for certain goals, whether they're realistic goals or not. So I think there's a, a certain drive that can come with narcissism, you know, not always because some people think that they already have those achievements. Um, and, but I think there is some, so I think there's gotta be some insecurity because you have that parent that fills their kid's head like Kanye West with how special a person they are, how they're basically Jesus Christ 2.0. But at some point in reality, you just got to walk into the supermarket and be like, 
fuck, I only got 35 bucks. I don't have any food at home. Like, like this is reality. I'm not, so, I'm not turning, I'm not turning, you know, bread into fish and water into wine. Uh, you know, this is reality. So I got 35 bucks and I need a tank of gas and I got to buy groceries. Like this is reality. I think my answer to Sarah's question would be, it depends. I think it could be driven by insecurity or it could be like, I think at its most extremes, narcissism is an insecurity that these people actually believe that they're better than everybody else and that like they deserve more than that, what they get and all the criteria that you listed, I think at like at its worst, narcissism is not about insecurity at all that narcissism is a lack of insecurity that doesn't that that causes you to have an unrealistic image of yourself and how you're viewed by others but i think but i think there's some element of insecurity in there and that i, I think and, there can be but and, i think it like at, it, if you boil it down to its core insecurity gets out it could be an ignorance of insecurity as well the, the, yeah i think but that, I, I would but say that, that it's it's, still... it's actually a clinical lack of insecurity, <laughs> um, because like some insecurity is healthy. There's a reason why. Like if you think about all the emotions that we have, there's an evolutionary reason for each one of them. Insecurity being one of them. Yeah, uh, very much so. Um, and so yeah, if you if you completely lack insecurity, then like. Yeah, you're probably going to end up with narcissism. So I guess the more I think about it, I'm going to have to say disagree. It's not driven by insecurity. It's driven by the lack of it. Well, yeah, Marilu uh, Minares on TikTok says that's what they want to cover up, their insecurities. But I don't necessarily know. No, that's more borderline, actually. Uh, yeah, I would say that would be more borderline. I, I wouldn't say that would be a trait of narcissism covering up your insecurities. I think there's a lot of your your vision of reality isn't in line with the real reality. And the real reality is, is your insecurities. Um, yeah. And, and borderline similar in terms of your vision of reality isn't in line with reality, but in a different way, mostly in terms of how you perceive the actions of others in relation to yourself. Whereas with narcissism, you're going to think they just don't see me as as great as I am. Like borderline is going yeah. to be, they did that because they wanted to get back at me for something. I'll give you a quick example. Um, the girl that I was dating, um, her roommate was someone that she hadn't met before. It was it was a roommate that she met, let's say, on Craigslist. Me, yeah. But so it's it's a and so while I was dating her, her roommate met her brother, and her and her brother, uh, the, the, her roommate and her brother, not the girl. That was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is South Carolina, but come on. <laughs> her roommate and my my then girlfriend's brother started dating and my then girlfriend was very angry about this because she had moved into this apartment because she wanted to be on her own and not have her family influence her and she thought that her brother was dating this girl not because he liked her for any reason but it was a way for him to get back at her for moving out from like the, head yeah, of the family and home, and I'm sure she wholeheartedly believed that oh she totally is, did which is where that absence of reality happened it's not she didn't she didn't think that because there was any element that was real about that she thought that because that somehow that's what her mind deduced because of this disorder mm -hmm. yeah and and like boy was she angry about that 
just I mean, just like if you are uh, walking down the street thinking people are talking about you and they're not one, they don't even know who the fuck you are and they're not even looking at you. You know, yeah, that's, that's more of like a schizophrenic that's, thing, that, well, that's paranoia. Rather, yeah. But yeah, like that's an example of like a borderline personality person thinking that somebody else's actions are related to you and designed to get at you when in reality they aren't. Okay, so let's hit this the differences list. I'm going to have you read that. I, I want to ask you real quick though. Have you are you familiar with impo- imposter syndrome? Uh yes. I I like this one. The imposter syndrome is the internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others believe you to be. And uh and that's that's kind of the almost the reverse I feel like or the inverse of uh, yeah, it's very, it's extremely color. common for people to experience that right after a promotion. Yeah, I uh, I would uh, be able to understand that completely. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you hit this list here. All right, so I want to start. I'm gonna go out of order here because I want to go with similarities first, since we spent most of our time talking about differences. Okay. This is Psychology Today article by yes. uh, by Bill Eddy. Yeah, so I'll hit. Uh, I'll tell you what. Like we'll go three at a time. Um, oh yeah. So Sarah says imposter syndrome just is, is like feeling like you were just lucky and not because like you deserve it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So similarities between BPD and NPD. Both rely on other people to manage functions that most of us are able to manage them ourselves. People with BPD look to others to help manage their moods, while people with NPD want others to prop up their self-esteem. Both live in alternative realities in which feelings create facts. That's definitely true. Like, it's different in terms of how it manifests, but yeah, that's that's completely true. With the example you just gave. Yeah, but also with, like, narcissist of, like, like, how important I am, look how great I am. I feel great, therefore I am great. Yeah. Um, all right. Both project their feelings of badness onto other people who became who become the target of blame. And you can look at this of like, um, we'll we'll go with the story from my ex girlfriend, and we'll go with look at any time that Trump has said something bad about somebody else when in, in reality it was his screw up. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, let's just go look back. Uh, there's something about pulling other people down and and assigning the negatives on other people, and I think that. That's where you could you could think self esteem has something to do with it. Uh, well, for narcissists, it's to preserve their greatness. Is yeah. other people are terrible, therefore I'm great. Whereas with BPD, it's other people are terrible, and they're. Um, I don't know what the reason is though. But 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 for whatever reason that's convenient uh, for for whatever fact that you've you've constructed. But yeah. I think that that's where self esteem gets gets into it. Is people with low self esteem oftentimes pull others around them down, um, and if you and not because you are narcissistic, but if you are narcissistic, you're pulling others down because it can't have anything to do with you. Whereas oftentimes you just have low self esteem, you know you you'll you'll pull others down for whatever reason. All right, you want to hit the next three? Okay, let's see. Uh, Both blame everybody. Yeah, I got that. Both blame everyone but themselves. Neither will admit they were wrong or made a mistake. So, yep. Uh, Again, for different Trump. reasons. Yeah, but you hit Trump with that as well. Yep. Both can be critical and judgmental, and both must be right at all times. 
neither will take responsibility for their words or actions. Yep. That's that's very interesting. Uh, and both carry grudges and see themselves as victims uh, uh, and expect loved ones to agree, which is really – this is a weird trait. Uh, so you could – what your perception is that you're the victim – uh, and and you you hold this grudge against somebody else, but then you expect the people that you care about and that care about you to just blindly agree with you. That's a really funky aspect of that one. Yeah, um, and again, it's like the the blaming everybody but themselves. It, 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 it's all of these are done for different reasons, and it just results in the same behavior. Uh, do you want to right, so, look at the next three? Yeah. yeah, so both are unwilling to listen to what they don't want to hear. Kind of goes along with uh, blaming everybody but themselves. But that's, uh, but that's, a, that's a, again, this is this is what separates this person from someone without uh, without these disorders, is that you have to hear what's out there in reality. But you yeah. have to, you know, you have to. My mom telling me, uh, you know, just you're put on a little weight. I'm like, no shit. Clearly, I have. Thank you for drawing our t- both of our attention to that. Um, both may become exceedingly jealous over little or nothing, and both feel a great sense of shame, which they cover over with layers of self-deception. Both lie. Both need plenty of attention. Um, both try to control other people in their environment to feel safe. People with BPD use it to manage their own emotional stability, while NPD use it to prop themselves up. Yeah, the emotional instability uh, for the BPD is, is you see those extremes. You see the extremes of their emotions, whereas I think most narcissists don't have emotion at as deep of a level. No, right? no, I don't think so at all. I'm sorry, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> No, I don't think so. But no, I, no, no, I was going to say, no. like, I don't think so at all. And like, yeah, like, the, I don't think the, that they the, the have the emotions. Borderline, that... The borderline need people to control their emotional stability because their emotional stability swings so much. Well, it's the also because their self-worth is, is kind of pinned to others, and that's the cause of the problem. Yeah, and then the narcissist, they don't have – their emotions don't swing as, as vastly. Uh, so in this case, they need to prop their self-esteem. Uh, Let's right. just hit the last one. Like both see things in black and white with no shades of gray. Yeah, um, and and that's. Uh, I think that's a big take home from the whole conversation that we're having, is that we're talking about clinical levels of borderline, cl- clinical levels of narcissist. So you yourself need to understand that this is not just black and white, that there, there are some shades of gray in here and the darker it gets in one direction or the other, then that person is more likely to have this disorder. Uh, and, and somebody who is, who has several of these uh, classifications or several of these traits, you know, that's not great, but it doesn't mean that they have a clinical mental disorder, but it does mean that maybe they could benefit from some counseling. Yeah. Real quick, um, I, we only got five minutes left, and I still want to hit the differences, but I, um, the opposite of imposter syndrome is also worth mentioning, the Dunning-Kruger effect, where, like, the more you know about something, 
the more you're going to like hedge your bets and express less confidence in your, your conclusions. Whereas like the less you know, the more sure you are of something. Yeah, but because you're too you're too poorly educated on the topic to recognize the nuances that you're missing. And didn't so, we discuss Dunning Kruger like uh, we might have a couple of episodes ago? But basically, Dunning Kruger, if you don't know anything about something, you think you know all about it. Yeah, it's no. It's if you know nothing about it, then you're yeah. gonna say you know nothing. If you know a little bit about it, you're gonna think that you're an expert. And then as you, like as your as your expertise grows, your confidence actually declines when you realize how complex it is. And it's only once you become like a true expert of it that that confidence starts to come back because you actually understand it very well. Yeah, I feel like that's me working on cars <laughs> or doing. But but also I I know going into things. Uh, that there is such thing as this Dunning-Kruger bias. So I, I often underestimate the complexity of many tasks. Just everybody does. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's why it's like a thing. Um, unless you're a real expert on it. Unless you are a real expert. But unless you're, you know, if you're an expert, it's not, it's not going to be new to you. Right. You know? So when I'm changing the, the wheel bearings on the car, I'm thinking, well, this isn't... Actually, just, I don't know if we mentioned this. I told you last week I changed the wheel bearing. It took me fucking three days because I had to keep running out for tools. None of the stores had the tools. I'd spend hours going store to store, auto part, auto part, trying to find these tools. Um, now I went and did the opposing wheel, and it took me like three hours. It was just yeah, because you, you know, knew what to do. You knew where to screw. All right, let's hit these differences. And also, um, Sarah says they both like to be in control and have the upper hand. I would agree with that. Yes, uh, and both use trauma bond trauma to as a way to bond or like uh, i'm not entirely sure okay well, well let's, let's hit these look. differences since we only got three minutes okay uh i'm gonna I'll, i'm just gonna lead I'll, I'll read the first three uh pair sentences at least for people with borderline the major issue is fear of abandonment people with narcissistic with narcissism the person's major issue is feeding their ego through their supply for people with borderline, their emotions are variable and very intense. I actually just mentioned that a second ago. Mm -hmm. For people who are narcissistic, their emotions are shallow except for rage. That's that's interesting. Uh, people with borderline have a fear of both abandonment and engulfment. So somebody getting too close, they don't like. Uh, people with narcissism uh, may have a pervasive sense of grandiosity. Yeah. Um, so people with BPD can have suicidal thoughts or self-harm, whereas people with MPD have a sense that they are entitled to the best of everything, and they don't have to follow the, other, the rules that other people do. NPD, you're almost never going to see self-harm. No, because they think they are they're the king, so why would they yeah. tear themselves down? Yeah. Um, uh, Sarah, we'll hit your comment in a second. Let's, let's read through these uh, real yeah. quick. Yeah. Um, People with BPD outwardly exhibit feelings of abandonedness, woundedness, or vulnerability, whereas people with NPD have a tendency to exploit others. You're never going to see somebody with NPD act vulnerable, uh, unless they think that they're unless they're using it to I exploit. Was, I was just I was just going to say that they may play that card briefly uh, and use it to allow someone to to to, uh, to lure someone to get closer to them. But then they would never truly be vulnerable, so it wouldn't be a, a true vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, whereas somebody um, with, with borderline is, is is going to actually have those feelings of abandonment, woundedness, or vulnerability, and they're going to expect you to come in to uh, regulate their emotions. Yeah. 
Um, I'm skipping the next one because I don't agree with it. Next one, so the next one I do agree with. People with BPD have an unstable sense of self, whereas people with NPD probably have too too stable a sense of self because they've yeah. got this strong sense of superiority. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and I, I think these, I think these, are, I really like these differences because they really draw the line, so people don't go too. Yeah, because you can see the similarities and, and the differences and, and like why the cause matters so much. Yeah. So BPD, chronic feelings of empty, em, emptiness, whereas people with MPD temp, are, are not going to feel empty and they're actually going to have very little empathy for others. And people with BPD might have a genuine interest in other people. They're just unable to maintain those relationships because of their fear of abandonment and that, that whole push-pull thing that I talked about. Whereas right, people that... with NPD don't c care about learning others because they're better. All right, that's going to wrap the live aspect of this episode. We're off Instagram. Don't forget, subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe. Hit, hit on Sarah's comment podcast. real quick. We're out of time, but we're going to stay live on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter. We're just losing the Instagram stream. So adios, IG. And we will take a quick break, just a few seconds. And... We will continue our conversation. I think what we need to do next is continue the conversation about uh, the treatments, and then we'll call it from there. How's that sound? Yeah, go ahead and hit Sarah's comments since that's been sitting okay, out there. So, and it's good. So we got uh, those, and and actually now's a really good time to share that you can catch us live Tuesdays and Thursdays at eight thirty p.m., roughly eight thirty p.m. Uh, on all social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. We're live there. However, we actually edit and publish this podcast on YouTube, so you can watch us on video on YouTube, or you can listen to us on any audio podcast platform. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I think Anchor, whatever the podcast platforms are, you can catch us on all of those. So make sure that you guys follow us there. Right now, we are still live. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and TikTok. And we're going to continue talking about the 10 stages of treatment for NPD, Narcissistic Personality Disorder. Before we do, we're going to hit a comment from Twitch. This is Sarah underscore AL999. And Sarah had a couple of comments about trauma bonding. And she's defining the trauma. Uh, she said she pulled this from Google. Trauma bonding involves cycles of abuse. Following an abusive incident or series of incidents, the perpetrators will often offer a kind gesture to recover the situation. A period of relative peace can follow before tensions start to rebuild and the abuse inevitably starts again. So uh, I think that would be a commonality between borderline and narcissism. And you know, creating that trauma to basically lure that person in just like when you're fishing, you can kind of let the line out or let some tension out, and then you cut, you, you you let it out a little bit, and then you 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 tighten that line and pull them back. I I, I think that's kind of the yeah. Same you set idea. the hook. Yeah, and I've yeah exactly, and I've been in that situation, James. It sounds like you've been in that situation. Yep. And and the thing about people with these personality disorders is, you know, sometimes they're in pain. Uh, but oftentimes you can really have a bond with them. And, and unfortunately, with the narcissist, they will have less of a bond with you. Uh, but oftentimes that borderline person will have a, a, a real deep 
a need for you in their life and a real deep bond, but their personality disorder, it, you know, it's basically like trying to snuggle with a porcupine. Like that porcupine may want to snuggle with you, but it's just incapable and it's not going to happen. And you're both going to end up getting, you know, it's bad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not good. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to sh- I'll share this article with you, James, real quick. What's the, what's the best way to get it to you? Drop it in the private chat. Okay, let me do that. And uh, it's coming your way. This is also uh, Psychology Today, which is uh, a website I enjoy. Uh, there's... Uh, there's one that I subscribe. I actually pay for a subscription for. I don't think it's Psychology Today, but it's a it's a good uh, psychology bunch of articles. Um, anything you want to add before we just hit this list? What are you drinking, by the way? Because it looks like oh, bush ice again. Bush ice. All right. I had a nice icy cold Corona. We came on air. I had to I had to crack it pretty quick on. It had this nice. Uh, frost on the outside of the bottle that was nice have i told you the, the 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 worst beer ad i've ever seen uh i think you have but i'm uh i'd love to hear you remind me what it was it was for corona light which is a terrible beer and it, it's a commercial where there's i don't know let's say it's miami there's a rooftop party going on and like the camera's kind of floating above showing a whole bunch of people on a rooftop partying and having a good time and like the camera zooms out a little bit, and now you get to see like another rooftop right next door where people are also partying. And coincidentally, everybody in both rooftop parties are drinking Corona Light. And like the people from Building One like kind of raise their beers to Building Two in a toast. And then the camera pans out a little bit more, and it just says Corona Light. It only gets better. And I thought that's an unintentionally honest <laughs> description of your beer. If you're drinking Corona Light. Your night can only get better. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty bad at that case, at that point in time. You've actually mentioned that before on this podcast. Um, uh, all right, let's. Did, uh, I want to hit this list and and move on because I want to put some uh, some fucking uh, hydrocortisone and uh, lotion in my body. I told you about the poison ivy. Yeah, I am fucking dying. Like literally, my fucking. I'm I'm a mess. Yeah, you look like a leper. I, I feel like a leper. Um, I almost took the day off of work just to sit at home with shorts on and just cover my body with that calamine lotion. But uh, I couldn't in good conscience take the day off to sit, sit at home naked <laughs> lotion on my body. So, well, when you uh, describe it like that. Well, look, so here, here's what happened. Because I thought more about we moved all these weeds. And I, I showed you last week the vines that were on these trees. Uh-huh. But, but I didn't realize that... Um, well, my friend Bruno was chopping the vines out of the tree and throwing them in a pile. The pile was being raked up. I was loading this pile. I had short sleeves on, but gloves on. And I was grabbing bushelfuls of sticks and leaves and throwing them in the back of the truck. So I had all this shit against my chest is all fucked up, too. I had all this shit against my arms and my chest. And then I was taking it, throwing it in the truck. And then I was getting in the flatbed of the truck that was overflowing. So it was up to my waist, basically. And I was I was kicking it and shoveling it out of the back of the truck. So I all the way up my legs, up to my knees, even though I had jeans on, they were just covered in this oil from poison ivy plants. And I have I have crazy poison ivy all over my body. It's 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 like 
a weird freak out of having fucking the red ants that you had, the fire ants, all over your body, just constantly nibbling and biting on you. It's really bad. So I think the only difference is, like, for one, mine was nowhere near as bad, but, like, fire ants will, like, swell up really bad. So, like, not only will you have the itching and, like, the oozing from the actual sores, but, like, the day after I got bitten up, it was hard for me to walk. My feet were so swollen from the bites. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I've got a little bit of swelling in some of the, the really gnarly parts. Yeah, uh, like, you know, not, like, if you sprain an ankle or something, it gets super swollen and, like, it hurts to walk. Not no, just you're talking about, injury, like, but... you're talking about, like, bee, like bee stings, like, where it swells around the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So imagine having, like, 15 bee stings all around your ankle. Yeah. I, like, well, they I didn't mean... hurt. Like, a bee sting hurts when it immediately happens. Like, these, like, when fire ants bite you, it doesn't really hurt that bad. Like, you know you, you've been bit, but it's not, like, that searing pain of a bee sting. It's just, like... Yeah, this is going to be annoying later. And sure well, enough. You call, I think in the beginning of the pod, you probably saw me. I have this Benadryl spray. I was spraying my arms. The problem is I want to wear a shirt for the podcast. So as soon as this podcast, as soon as we wrap, I am ripping my shirt off and spraying the shit. I don't, I don't know if you can see me. I've been itching the whole time we've been on, 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 uh, on air. I am dying. I, I, I want to do a whole episode to just warn the world or the eight people that will watch it about uh, about poison ivy, uh, because the world is really out to fucking kill you, and poison ivy is uh, is a good example. Um, so look, one I want to talk yeah, about. Don't read about the gimpy gimpy tree in, in Australia, then. Well, uh, why does that just basically uh, paralyze people? Uh, you can read about it later, and we All can right. talk about that in the same vein as poison ivy. All right. So look, there's ten stages of therapy for narcissistic disorders. The, the biggest issue is getting into the therapy as a narcissist, as somebody with NPD. That is the most difficult part about actually seeking therapy. Most people with NPD are never going to step foot in a therapist's office or telehealth uh, video calls. So yeah, uh, why would I need therapy? I'm, I'm good. I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm beyond good. I'm better than you are. Yeah. That, that's the narcissist approach. Um, so uh, you, you want to go back and forth? I'll, I'll read number one. You do number two. We'll go yeah, let's right hit ahead. these quick. Okay. So symptom relief or appeasement. Most clients with MPD do not enter therapy in order to reflect or change. They usually come in to get relief from unpleasant feelings and symptoms or to please someone who's important to them, who's told them to get therapy. Some leave as soon as they feel better or the, the uh, other party has been appeased. So avoid future pain. If they're at all capable of self-reflection, they may continue long enough to understand their triggers and develop a plan that will help them avoid future pain. It's still all about them at this stage, but it's getting them to understand other people's impact on them. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is probably teaching empathy skills, right? Like, and 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 having a conversation about empathy and and see what's lacking. So, uh, stage three: identify their coping mechanisms. Uh, so this is written in first-person perspective by the author. In this stage, I'm helping people understand and identify their primary defense patterns. It may involve looking at their childhood situation and how they learned to cope with it. Uh, it's still fairly easy because it can be explored without them feeling judged in most cases. Yeah. So 
once you identify their coping mechanisms, stage four is create new ones. Now that the person knows what they do and why they do it, the old narcissistic strategies aren't just going to disappear. So you need to start discussing other ways that they can meet their needs that are more constructive. I, I think that, that for the most part at this point in, in this uh, treatment, you're not pushing people so much away. Like you're not, you, you run into that narcissist, uh, you know, say, oh, these are some things that you do that may not be healthy. Um, you know, and, and you're doing this, be, you know, you just told me that this happened in your childhood. So maybe you do this to deal with it. Here are some other things that you could do to deal with it. So, so I think, you know, a, a good approach, uh, could be very beneficial for the, for the patients. Number five is to form new habits. So most narcissistic coping mechanisms can be viewed as habits that are encoded in the brain through uh, neuronal connections. The basic goal now is twofold. Inhibit the old habits, substitute more desirable patterns. If this is done a few hundred times, the new method eventually gets coded in the brain. The older narcissistic pattern of neural connections weakens through the lack of use, and now the new coping mechanisms become the automatic default pattern. That's basically habit building. Yeah. So this one I think is really important. So stage six is impact on other people. So most of the time, clients with NPD can't seriously consider their impact on other people until they have these newer coping mechanisms in place. Otherwise, they'll feel too much shame and they might just bail out of the, the therapy. So you need, like, before you can even get these people to think about how their actions impact others, they need to have, like, five stages of therapy first. Yeah, that's why I said up until stage five. Like, this is pretty... You're not, you're not like hitting any wounds. You're not, you know, you're not, uh, there's no real pain. Um, yeah. But, but once somebody understands how they're causing pain on other people in a personalized context, but yeah, that like if you, could become painful. If you bring up their impact on other people too early, you're risking them bailing on the therapy because they think they're going to think that you're full of shit or you, or you're going to like shatter their entire worldview and you're going to do more damage than the therapy. Like you're going to do more harm than good through the therapy. Yeah. Um, all so, right. So exam, examining their uh, impact on other people. Number seven. No, that, oh, that was number six. Number yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm saying number seven, focus on childhood pain. At this stage, the clients are calmer and their life is generally calmer. They have learned what type of things trigger them, and they have developed more productive ways to cope with them. Now, some of their defenses against shame are less necessary. Painful traumas from the past start to take center stage in the therapy. If all goes well, some healing takes place. Uh, and in the process, they develop some emotional empathy for themselves as a child. So they can understand how them, they were feeling as a child and understand kind of what was affecting that. They also start to develop the capacity to form stable, realistic, integrated images of themselves. Uh, and this allows them to see other people in a more integrated way as well. Uh, it's not uh, other people aren't all good or all bad. So stage eight is kind of a tough one. Let's update the inner voice before they can develop emotional empathy for other people. Most people with MP need to be able to empathize with themselves. Um, quite early in therapy, 
the, the therapist talks about how children automatically internalize their understanding of how their caregivers saw them and their caregivers' ideas about right and wrong and also their ideas about what deserves praise and blame. And so they need to kind of think about what does their inner guiding voice sound like just to them, not even to anybody else. Like, do you like the tone of your inner voice? Is it sweet or is it harsh? Is it scary? Is it fair? Is it reliable? And once they kind of talk about what their own inner voice sounds like, then you need to, then, then you can start working on it. Like this is, the, the, this is pretty deep. I feel yeah, like this one sounds like it would probably be the hardest step to work on. Um, I mean, hopefully you have the momentum from the former seven steps. Yeah. Um, but, but, but think about, think about your own inner voice. What is your own inner voice saying or doing? Is it, is it disqualifying, you know, actions of other people, other people's attitudes? Like what, what, what is the tone of that voice? And I think that's what, what these questions are. I'll let you read the rest of the questions, but. I'm going to skip over them in the interest of time, but um, like the, I think the, the last paragraph, so you can usually tell how harsh someone is with themselves by listening to how harsh they are with others. Inner harshness is proportionate to outer harshness. So blaming and ju judging other people is a way to re re redirect their harsh inner critic outward, and that helps protect that narcissistic view of themselves. Next step, number nine. Empathy. Oh, real quick. Yeah. Um, Sarah says that, uh, so, so Rosh was right. She's taking a mental health, uh, she's taking classes for a mental health degree for as a registered nurse. So that's why she came off as, uh, as knowledgeable as she clearly is. All right. Well, Sarah, make sure you find us on YouTube and the audio podcast platform. Subscribe. We would love your input in the future, uh, especially when it comes to psychology topics. Uh, especially narcissism. This is our second episode we've done on narcissism. Uh, today we are comparing it to borderline personality disorder. So make sure you subscribe. Would love to hear from you again in the future. Might be a uh, good guest if we got a right topic. Yeah, uh, especially if she gets her degree. But even in the pursuit of the degree, I'd love to hear what she's learning about. Let me read uh, stage number nine, empathy for other people. Once they understand their own pain and have their harsh devaluing inner voice more under control, they can start to look out, outward at other people. Generally, their first real emotional empathy for other people is evoked by someone who meets the following conditions. So I think this, is, uh, this should be underlined. Their first empathy for someone else is someone who is no threat to them, someone who reminds them of themselves, uh, and the person is being traumatized or was traumatized in a way that was similar to their trauma earlier in their life. So it's kind of like hold up a mirror, but not actually a mirror. Yeah, you have someone who is able to mirror your background. And if all goes well, some of the clients will continue to slowly expand their capacity for empathy. Makes me think of a, a famous case, a famous psychology case or psychiatry case where in a mental hospital there were three patients that all thought that they were the reincarnation of Jesus. And so what the doctors did is they put them all in the same room. <laughs> uh, I like that. <laughs> um, did you ever see that movie called awake? No. 
Oh, that's a really good one. I don't know who the actor is in it, but I, it's from like the 80s, I think. Robin is that Williams. about like being in a coma and like still being aware? Yeah, well, not necessarily being aware. Your brain's actually mostly off. But what they could do is they could bring your brain back. And with a certain drug, they were able to wake you up. The problem was is that the drug basically had a certain half-life that was diminishing over time. And they couldn't keep the people awake. Uh, but it was people who had been in a coma for 40 years came out of the coma. And is this fictional or is this based no, on like... It's a, it's a true story. And they were basically catatonic. And they came back to life. Uh, just really... And, and, and they realized this very strangely that their reaction part of their brain was still there. So you could throw a ball at somebody who was catatonic and they would catch it. Hmm. Yeah. So it's this weird kind of like lizard brain was active and I don't know. They like tried some experimentation. Comas it's, it's are cool something movie. that I have like virtually no understanding of. Like the, the whole concept of a coma is just wild to me. It's, it is an aspect of neuroscience that is totally baffling. A lot like dreams, uh, except I think we understand more about dreams than we do about comas. You want to hit the... Oh, one thing, one, one cool yeah, thing yeah. about dreams that I just, that I heard about. Um, so like when you're having a dream, like there, like your mind is doing two things. Like there's one part of your mind that's doing the dreaming and like creating the events or whatever. And then there's like a different part of your mind that's actually like reacting to it. Yeah. So it's like, you've got your mind and like, imagine two people in your mind, one person's up on stage doing something and the other person is sitting in the audience being like, man, this is wild. That's yeah. That's your that's your cognitive portion of the brain is the one that's like interpreting what's happening on the. On yeah, the right. but it's funny to me that like the brain is one thing and it, like it's doing two things at once. It's creating something and simultaneously reacting with surprise to what it's creating. It's yeah. It's really strange, and this is it has a lot to do with your memory and how you form memories and what gets reinforced in your memories. It's it's really. It's fucking wild. The fact that we need to sleep as as humans. That we could do a whole episode on 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 the sleep stuff. Let's uh the movie, by the way, uh, thanks to Rosh, said the movie is called Awakenings. Robert De Niro is the patient who comes back to life or comes back to awareness, and Robin Williams plays the doctor. Oh, and now we know why the patient decided to go back to sleep. <laughs> um all right, let's uh let's hit uh authenticity. All right, last one. Um, stage 10 is authenticity and my consistent, this is the, from the therapist perspective, my consistent non-judgmental interest in them and their dropping of their defenses improves our relationship. It can be a reparative emotional experience where they can feel trust and be authentic with me because I've seen their bad side and nothing terrible happened to either of us. They can then take these baby steps forward and try and be more authentic with other people. And if it goes well, their reliance on their old false self diminishes and they can become more spontaneous and joyful. It's a very tight line to walk though, because you can't have, as the therapist, you can't have the approach or draw light to the fact that the patient is or has been a shitty person or a manipulative person. You can't, you can't just throw I think the by the time you get to the stage 10 that, that you're, you're going to be able to bring that up a little bit. I don't I think you're skirting that issue entirely and they may and that the the patient may look back and say you know that was not the greatest of me um you know let me let me 
makes well, you have to lead them there. You can't say it outright. You have to get them to figure that conclusion out for themselves. Ah, man, this, uh, I think people are just becoming more and more narcissistic and I don't know, you know, we're talking about the clinical definition uh, of, uh, the narcissistic personality disorder. And we talked about borderline personality disorder, but you know, th that's the extreme. So what, what's your, what's your, you know, in uh, effectively in closing, what's your, what's your thinking here? Well, if you're saying if we're going to get away from the clinical definition of narcissistic personality disorder and just talk about narcissism in general, like lowercase n narcissism, um, and its prevalence in society, and it's probably growing prevalence, um, you know exactly what I'm going to blame. Social media. Yeah. Because now we have a place where everybody gets their own platform and like gets to advertise what they're doing and like since you're exposed to the world if you've got seven or eight billion people out there like a hundred people seeing something that you do and saying that it's cool statistically is the same as zero people seeing it but it's a hundred people that said that what you just did was cool it's so it's, no wonder you're going to think what a hundred other people thought it was cool like i must be cool now social media is the weirdest fucking thing ever you know because i think about like what am i going to post on social media like make sure it looks good but also like i you know for me social media is a medium to stay in touch with people and to continue to exist and for certain think about how other people behind use it. that no but i'm not saying my you know there's no narcissism behind that like it's self-promotion um you know, and I, you know, I went to our 10 year high school reunion, for example, and I spent a whole bunch of time like just pouring through everybody who had RSVP'd. I went through all their Facebook pages for the last five, eight, 10 years to see like what they've been, what they've been up to. Uh, now we're actually approaching like the 20 year high school reunion. I might uh, actually go to that one. I passed hard on the 10 year. No, I, I'd be down for the 20 year um, again. But, but uh, you know, social media. I can tell you that I will not be doing any research on anybody. I, I do. I showed up and I went straight to the bar and I drank a hell of a lot. And then from there, we went to another bar. It ended up being a, a fun night. But please tell uh, me you didn't end up going to Ryan's wake. Uh, there's probably a very high probability, but. Uh, I don't recall Ryan's Wake being the ultimate destination. There was a nice Scott. There was actually a cool bar that was a Scott. It was under. It was the basement level of this kind of brownstone bar. It was like a speakeasy type uh, establishment, and it was a Scotch bar. They only served. They probably had a couple of beers, but it was, was that they, in Troy. It was in Troy. They since closed down. Was um, it the place that served pizza? No, I don't think because they, they had like the pizza. second floor was like a speakeasy style. The, no, they, I know what you're talking about. We went there before, right? Yeah, I've, I've been there a couple times. Yeah, this is not that place, unfortunately. Oh, okay. this, this place was like on River Streets, underground, next to like Browns, next to the uh, Rev Wall. Okay, Hall yeah. All right, so different area. Yeah. Uh, either way, I think uh, we could shoot the shit a little more, but that's, that's the end of the content that we have yeah. for uh, – uh, for the for the topic, I really like talking about narcissism a lot. You know, I work. With of a course, lot you of, do. <laughs> well, I have some personal experience uh, on top of you know having maybe some narcissistic tendencies, but also a fair bit of imposter syndrome. We, we should say hi to Hazel Tari. She came in late arrival to the stream, but uh, nice to have you. 
Yeah. And your bunny rabbits. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, thank you guys for joining us on the live cast. Make sure you subscribe on the other platforms, YouTube specifically, uh, because we'd love to keep pumping out this content. We also love your opinions on what we should be talking about. So make sure to throw some comments out there and share with us what you'd like to hear about. Uh, on that note, uh, I want to thank everybody for joining. I want to thank Rosh Kaleb in the background for sending us your live comments. Despite his dogs eating everything in his apartment alive, yeah. he is typing to us in real time what you are saying to us. So, uh, And, Rosh, I'll see if I can send you the image of the, uh, the street sign I had made. On that note, everyone, thanks for coming. Thank you, James. Adios. Cheers. All right, that concludes the podcast. Thank you for listening. Let me know in the comments what we got right, what we got wrong, what you disagree with, what you agree with, and just your general philosophy on life. All right, see you guys next time. Thank you for watching. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.